Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert, and coming up on today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Msia Kabona-Clark from Howard University to talk about her passion and her experiences as a transnational from Tanzania, as a, I would say, 1.5 generation. And we get into the conversation about a variety of topics in relation to feminism, pan-Africanism, and dare I say, Beyonce and what she's doing right now as far as her um, pan-African movement as well. So it's a very good conversation and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's go through our formalities. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. Please feel free to subscribe and download this podcast and also leave a review. Uh, If you rate it, review it, let us know how you feel about it so that we can be able to continue to make the best content for you. And then you can also get more information about this podcast on our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. Um, You can email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. Or you can just follow us like everybody else does on social media at blacktransnationalpodcast. And you can follow me, the host on Instagram at black transnational underscore. Um, Facebook is also there at black transnational as well. All right. So those are all the ways in which you can contact us. Y'all already know how it goes. That's kind of what we go through. But today's guest, Dr. Msia Kabona-Clark, such a dope person. Uh, she is an associate professor at Howard University. I'd be remiss if I didn't say more specifically that she is an associate professor in African studies at Howard University and her work is more related to um, African diaspora identities, African pan-Africanism, and African feminism in pop culture. And a lot of her work currently is focused on feminist roles in cyber feminism. Uh, so that's a very interesting topic as well. Please look her up at Howard University's website. I have to just kind of put it out there, full disclosure. I do not know her from Adam Marie. It was just one of those things where I came across her information uh, about a current book that she had put out the book was called Pan-African Spaces, Essays on Transnationalism, or something to that effect. And it was such a dope concept, and I was like, yo, I have to know more about this person. And I just decided to reach out to her. Turns out that she actually listens to the show, <laughs> which I was like, wow, like, little old me, you know? And uh, but we, we, we hit it off really well. We have a good, great conversation, I'll even say. Uh, we talk about our Greek backgrounds as far as being part of Greek organizations. We talk about just being 1.5ers. Um, we talk about hip-hop. We talk about feminism. We talk about, you know, transnationalism. We even talk about Beyonce. Like, we get into the whole idea of this, this the whole Black is King movement, right? And, and what that is doing for pop culture and even the Lion King, you know, movie. and Just all that whole vibe that happened within the past year and a half. Uh, and what that was doing for us. And we, we get into that as far as the positive and negative effects of that. So this is a really fun conversation with a really good person. And it's just a good reminder as to why I enjoy hosting this show and hosting this podcast. And, you know, just being able to meet and connect with people that you don't know, but share the same passion. And you get to really learn a lot about people. And you're able to build new acquaintances you're able to build new friendships and just new collaborations the collaborators potentially so it's it's awesome right and i think this episode is just a nice way to display that right and we can tell we really had a good time talking with one another so i hope that you all have as good a time as we did so without any further ado here's my conversation with dr msia kabona clark enjoy Welcome to My Dad's Podcast, My Blackest Change National, Season 3. You can find us on anywhere you like to listen to good podcasts. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye. Hello everyone, welcome to My Black is Transnational, and today I have on a special guest who will be 
talking with me about her work and um, just to say that her work is something that I found very interesting and fascinating and um, very much so along the things that you know I'm passionate about and the things that we talk about here on My Black is Transnational. Um, she's a feminist. Uh, she is a um, professor in African studies. Um, she is a scholar in hip hop. And, and she is also, you know, an African and a transnational. And I just want to um, welcome um, Dr. Msia Kibona Clark, um, an associate professor at Howard University, uh, for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much, Dr. Clark. Welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm, I'm definitely a, a fan of the show. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so before we get into the, the thick of uh, things when it comes to our conversation, I wanted to just, you know, give you an opportunity for you to just rep yourself and say what's up to everyone and say, you know, like where you're from and, and what you do, what your background, what you're passionate about and everything like that. Well, thank you. I'm originally from Tanzania, so I was born in Tanzania, in East Africa. Mm -hmm. um, my mom is African-American, and my dad is Tanzanian, mm -hmm. and I grew up in Ohio, like right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And uh, basically went to undergrad at Johnson C. Smith, studied political science. Johnson C. Smith is a HBCU down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And then uh, fast forward a little bit, went to Howard University for African Studies and um, really initially did my work on African immigrant immigrants and kind of really looking at how African immigrants and African-Americans were interacting mm. and looking at second generation immigrants, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but my work, you know, like you said, is really kind of focused on, you know, pan-Africanism, transnationalism, identities, especially in popular culture. So what led to that? Because that was something that is, is interesting because I, I found myself trying to and still working on studying the interaction between African-Americans and African immigrants. And what led you down that path? Was it just your own personal story of being um, having African parents and African-American parents? Or, or what was that? Yeah, you know, they, they always say, you can you know, kind of tell a lot about a scholar about what they study and mm -hmm. what they research. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it was it was that it was, you know, kind of growing up in the state, growing up in Ohio, where there were few African immigrants at the time. And, you know, it was really the 80s where we started seeing the numbers significantly increase. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm seeing that and like even as a TA seeing, you know, students in the classes, it just the demographics of the students were changing and really kind of wanting to look at what that meant. So more and more, I was having students that were especially second generation. Mm. Um, so this was early 2000s. And so these were students that were like freshmen, sophomores, juniors. These were undergraduates. And so these were the children of um, that first generation mm. of immigrants that came in the 80s going, coming into the college. And it was interesting because me growing up, just I hadn't, I, you know, I was you. I was pretty much the only African student. I think there were maybe one or two others in my whole entire high school. The whole time I was living in Ohio, um, and so to see that visibly that change happening mm -hmm. was fascinating. And then you know, I'm seeing, you know, just kind of their how they're identifying and how you know, because for me, I, because I was the only one. I really clung to my African-American identity and that was the identity that I kind of most assimilated into. Mm. And so even when I went to an HBCU, there were a couple other students like me, but they all, it was the same thing. You just really didn't, I mean, your African side was there, but you just, you, you left that at home. Right. Um, and so as I'm seeing more and more students, I'm realizing that they're bringing both of their identities and, and then, you know, I am a, I'm an AKA. And so, okay. you know, definitely most of my sores, they was just like, you were African American. That was it. Mm. But at Howard, I was seeing, you know, Nigerian Deltas and like 
Hughes from Sierra Leone. I'm right. like, what the what's happening? <laughs> you're talking to a like, you're talking to a Nigerian iota, so like <laughs> Oh what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, okay, something is happening. Something is really happening. And I really want to know what's going on. Um, so I decided to go ahead and, you know, really try to do some research on that and find out how people were identifying how just the presence of more people from the continent Mm -hmm. impacts our pride and willingness to kind of wear our identities. Mm. But when you're the only one, you don't really want to wear it, you know, as a kid. Yeah. But when there's more of you, you're like, oh, okay. You know, you feel there's more confidence in that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was what drew me to that, was, was kind of seeing that. Sutton Downs in D.C., D.C.'s population, the African population is very big in D.C. So that was also a big factor. You know, that's so interesting because I think even for someone, and I didn't ask what at what age you arrived in the U.S. after being born in Tanzania, but... I know that for me, coming to the United States at a young age and acculturating, it, there was such a, and I think I speak for a lot of other guests who've been on the show, who, there are a lot of us who would like strive to really acculturate and really just grasp onto that African American side. And for, you know, if you mm-hmm. were able to, if you were fortunate to be someone like me, who I was able to truly pick up the accent um, of the American very quickly and be able mm-hmm. to code switch, then I ain't have a problem blending in. I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, I may have an occasional smell of strong oil from African cooking that made me distinct, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but other than mm-hmm. that, it was it was very easy. But then until you got into college and then grad school and then you start to really see like, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Like there's, you know, it's a lot more of the people who are like me and a lot of them are starting to, you know, they're all trying to come together and, and show out a little bit more of this, this African side. And, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's so interesting. But what I find very fascinating about your story, just from my perspective, is that it wasn't that many people that I knew, you know, growing up that were from Tanzania and had African-American parents. And, you know, so mm. like, was that, was that, you know, were, were you all, relegated to your own like enclave of Tanzanians or you know were you finding yourself in a community that was filled with a diverse population of Africans or like did you find yourself not growing up in Ohio you know you said with that many so how did you connect to your Tanzanian culture your African roots or you you know through your dad or I'm just curious to see how you were able to embrace that culture and and continue to um, maintain it. Yeah, that, it was tough. Um, so I, I came to the States when I was about five years old. Okay. So I was really young. Okay. Um, and so I quickly, the my accent, you know, it naturally, because I was so young, it was naturally going to disappear. Mm-hmm. But I, I went through a period in elementary school where I was mumbling. Mm. And I mumbled because I had an accent. And it was, I didn't want people to notice it. And mm-hmm. so like literally throughout my elementary years, the teachers would constantly complain that I mumbled when I talked. Um, mm-hmm. And it was all because of the accent. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, so it was, just, it was just interesting. So then there really weren't very many Tanzanians in Ohio. And so that that was also an issue. And one of the great things about Nigerians, they're Nigerians everywhere. Yes. Like y'all, <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh, y'all everywhere. Um, but for Tanzanians, there really wasn't a Tanzanian community in Ohio at the time. And so it there wasn't, there just wasn't any source of kind of validation. And, right. you know, I went back to Tanzania to visit. Um, and it was, you know, nice, but it, it was still, there wasn't any reinforcement. And so when I was an undergrad, I went, and decided to do a study abroad for a year in Tanzania. And that is where everything just clicked. Mm. It's like there are parts of you that you are like, okay, I get the right thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is why I love right so much. And this is why, you know, it's like certain things started coming together. And it, it just, I it just, like it, I felt, but it was, 
you know, and then I did my grad school in D.C., and then in D.C. there's a significant, at that time it was growing, um, but Tanzanian community. Mm-hmm. And so kind of entering into that community, um, and at the time, you know, my, my dad was in politics, and so there were a lot of folks who knew my family, and so it was also, it was easy for me to kind of get into the community that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It, yeah, it, it was it was definitely tough in Ohio. Oof, it was it was it was a struggle. Ohio was a struggle. So like, I mean, you know, and that's the thing you just brought up the whole idea of Nigerians. I think that's like Nigerians. We feel like you know when it, when it, when the conversation comes about Africa, it's just us. Like West Africans just feel like there's no other Africans that are in this country except for us. So to be able to see someone from the other part of the continent and you know be so active and actually be able to do so much work to me i always find it refreshing because i like wow nigerians are everywhere and that's like we're, we're so we're inundate the entire you know metropolitan areas any big city in america there's there's a nigerian there so it's like wow um but i want to know when you were coming up in the world and, and especially in your scholastic journey why hip-hop and why blend hip-hop with African culture and African affairs. And, and, and then we'll talk more about the feminist aspect of it, you know, later on. But I wanted to know what, what was the hip hop influence in your life as a scholar? Well, I you know, grew up in hip hop. So I kind of grew up in, you know, kind of the, you know, part of the hip hop generation. And mm-hmm. so I was raised on hip hop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was just kind of, part I you know part of the culture I grew up in Mm -hmm. and so I just kind of you know was hip-hop I didn't think of it as something to study Mm -hmm. and then um I think there was sometime in the mid-90s I think it was Trisha Rose who wrote one of the first books on hip-hop the academic books and so you had kind of the American hip-hop studies as a field because you had like the first generation of of, like hip-hop heads you know, um, coming of age in terms of scholars. And they started writing about this culture. And so I was still, like, not thinking it was, you know, something to really write about. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, me kind of going back and forth to Tanzania and being involved with the hip-hop scene there and knowing a lot of the early artists, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I hadn't put two and two together and then started reading stuff on hip-hop in Tanzania and was like, this is not accurate. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, there was some stuff that was written by people who were not involved and who, who just were like, oh, this is urban youth music. Right, we're going right. to call it hip hop and we're going to study it like anthropologists. Right. And I was just like, no. And they were disconnected from hip hop culture in the States. And, but you go and you talk to the average, you know, um, MC in, in Tanzania at that time, they knew who DJ Cool Herc was. Mm. Like, they knew Africa Bambada. They knew, mm. like, all of that stuff. And so how are you going to disconnect this hip-hop culture from global hip-hop culture? Right. Um, so that's when I decided to, you know, start writing about it. And, yeah, so that's, that's how it came about when I realized that there wasn't that voice from within the culture. And then, you know, there were others who I met along the way, some folks down in South Africa um, that are like, you know, Cape Town hip hop has just been it's hmm. huge. Um, so some of the scholars down there have, have really kind of pioneered a lot of the African hip hop studies. Um, and then Senegal, there's been some Senegalese uh, scholars that have kind of written some good stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of how it's come. So now you're seeing kind of the African hip-hop heads who are writing about hip-hop culture in Africa, and that's been amazing. However, I think the big challenge now that I'm finding is people still want to put, like when they talk about hip-hop in Nigeria, they're like, yeah, DeVito and Wizkid. And it's like, no, those are singers. Mm-hmm. And they're great singers, mm-hmm. and they're entertaining and talented, but that's not they're not lyricists, they're not mm-hmm. MCs. Mm-hmm. 
And so that has been the challenge now is that people are like, no, we want to call that hip hop. And it's, it's, that's kind of been one of the, and you know, wow. you talk to some of the Nigerian MCs and, and they get frustrated hmm. because they are overlooked for the Afrobeats artists because that's what people want to see when they see, think of Nigerian hip hop. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that's kind of a long answer as to how that, that came about. No, that's a very insightful answer because I think a lot of the listeners on this podcast will not be able to be differentiate that. And I think you expressing the resistance to the mainstream wave and trying, cause it's like the mainstream wave is trying to force itself, especially when we talk about Afrobeats, trying to force itself into being in that hip hop room and saying we are hip-hop too and it's like well you're really not um and Mm -hmm. so so i think that's i mean it's more than valid i i wonder though you know just just to kind of backtrack a little bit before we get into that conversation on the on the description of these hip-hop of hip-hop culture but like when you were coming up and really looking into hip-hop did you face resistance from your people from your community whether it was like your parents or people in the in, ten, in tanzania as far as it being a val a, a valuable um area to to look into because i know that when i was growing up as a kid like listening to hip-hop was one of those things that was very foreign to my parents and was like why are you listening to all that like what is that about like why listen to all this riffraff like that's not that's not something that's considered appropriate or anything like that so did you have a similar experience or was it something that was heavily encouraged by your community no, it was definitely a similar experience. It was, I mean, within African studies in general, mm. um, it was, it was just kind of, uh, they, people didn't take it seriously. Mm. I will say the, the events that happened in Senegal and Burkina Faso in like 2012, when they, when the hip hop artists were involved in getting the previous president voted out of office, mm. and then artists in Burkina Faso were involved in a revolution that they kicked out the president there that was a turning point in african studies Mm. because the hip-hop artists were right there front and center getting arrested on the mic writing songs directed to the president they were leading youth Mm. and so it was finally a lot of people in african studies were like oh okay so we're seeing this connection between this music and actual political change. Mm. And before that, they just thought it was noise. But for the first time, they were actually able to see that this music can, is actually a whole entire culture that has the possibility of creating change. And then even with the Arab Spring in Egypt, mm. you know, graffiti artists mm-hmm. were a huge part of the Arab Spring in, in Egypt and Tunisia. Um, and you've also got artists involved in, in stuff. And right now in, um, Uganda, even though that artist is not a hip hop artist, but you know, he's, he does pop music. He, you know, is running for president and he's been arrested and, you know, he's been in the news a lot. Um, Saul's the bad guy in Nigeria. I was, I was like, about to say that. Yep. that he's been doing. Yep. Like, you know, so now it's become really difficult to say this, the artist and the music is, has no relevance Hmm. um so yeah that has helped a lot the the fact that artists have been so instrumental in a lot of the social change that's happened in africa in like the last few decades really the last because even with south africa um with anti-apartheid struggle i mean there were artists that were involved in that in the 80s um it's just they weren't at the forefront but they were still speaking out against apartheid Hmm. I, I mean, so like you transitioned that um, your work on hip hop and even just creativity and activism and feminism, um, you put together a study that focused on feminism and African hip hop. And I think it was an article that you published um, uh, that really talked about how um, women artists in African hip hop are emerging. And I was fortunate enough to have one um, my first season here tt low key was actually in dc uh but just talking about the whole idea of the representation and resistance to patriarchy what inspired you to look into that to focus specifically on women in this field in this area of hip-hop like 
why make it something academic, I should say? Um, well, I think there were a couple of reasons. One, I was, as I was writing stuff, I was, I think I made a comment once that, wow, you know, we haven't been, I haven't really done that much on, you know, what women were doing. And then I remember asking a lot of men, you know, about women are, and every time I ask guys about, you know, women and, and do interviews and ask them about women, they would always say, oh, there are no women artists. They're not, you know, they're not really serious. They would always say that, you know, that they're like, like so basically they would always say the women artists here are not real MCs. They're mm -hmm. just, you know. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, well, I don't really know. So how am I going to think and say anything different? And so I just really didn't. And then I think it was somewhere around 2013, 2012, 2013, I, um, I started hearing, it was like a kind of a newer wave of South African women MCs that were coming out. And I remember just kind of listening to stuff because, you know, more and more stuff you were able to get online than mm -hmm. 2000, you know, 13, there's more artists you could, you know, were getting online. And so I was just like, what? I remember being blown away by some of it. And I've always loved strong female voices on the mic in hip hop. Like, right. I've always loved that. And I was hearing like these really strong, powerful voices and I was like, South Africa can't be the only country. And so then it was, you know, finding out more. And again, more artists were going online. So, it was, you know, just digging and digging and digging. And then also kind of really realizing that often uh, for me, like, you know, my mom, I kind of was born into, you know, a feminist framework. But mm. my first really kind of outside of the house introduction to feminism was through hip hop. And so looking at what a lot of these young girls are listening to, a lot of them, their first introduction to feminist ideas are through these women who are really, you know, addressing power dynamics in relationships and, you know, kind of, you know, looking at sexuality mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these things in different ways and so i was like well this is fascinating and then you also had in the states you had kind of the whole hip-hop feminism that emerged um and then like right now you got a lot of people talking about ratchet feminism which you mm. know is really kind of being applied to like the cardi b's and yeah, Nicki minaj's and stuff Megan um yeah. and yeah and but and then so african feminisms have been a little bit conservative Mm -hmm. And the whole respectability politics. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the women in hip hop in Africa were just, you know, are just kind of like, no, we don't, we, we don't want to do, no, we don't like your respectability politics. Um, and so some of them are queer and, you know, they play with gender identity in their songs. And so that's, you know, that whole issue in Africa, of course, is a lot more dangerous than it is here. Um, so that was also fascinating. So yeah, it was just, and then getting a chance to meet some of them, you know, I finally got down to South Africa and you end up meeting folks and you just end up like, wow, okay. It's just, you just end up, um, having amazing conversations and it's just wanting to document some of those voices and what's happening, um, again, because it, there wasn't anyone really writing on it. And the, more, the vast majority of the people, the scholars who are writing on hip-hop in Africa are men. Mm -hmm. um, there are only a few women. And the, <laughs> so I, I don't want to get... Oh, I'm about to get myself in trouble. Because, okay. So some of the women you better who write speak on your this, truth. I'm going to preface this by saying that some of the women that I know who write on hip-hop in Senegal are absolutely amazing and this does not apply to them. Okay. But the, many of the women who I know or who I have read who write on hip-hop in Africa tend to write on Senegal. Mm. Senegal is also a country where there's also, I don't know, it's very open. I mean, the men, you know, there's a lot of like, 
do a lot of marriages that mm-hmm. also come out of those mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> research projects. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so there's a there's a lot of kind of yeah. So there's that. You know, they're francophones, so perhaps the French thing is also appealing. So there's a lot of that that's happening in Senegal. Okay. A lot of European women doing hip research on hip hop in Senegal. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know. So gotcha. I'm like, yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like okay, um, but yeah. For in terms of, uh, for the most part, uh, the majority of the folks doing research on hip hop in Africa are men, uh, and there are some that like there's some um, folks down in South Africa, um, Adam Hawk, who's out of University of Cape Town. He's done some great stuff on um, queer artists in Cape Town. Um, and you know he's a man so there have been some men who've done some really really good stuff uh when it comes to gender but just the majority are men and and i've read some horrendous stuff you Mm. know about women that has been written by men you know Mm. male scholars about women in hip-hop in Mm. africa um so that's also definitely very Something that definitely fuels my desire to write. Yeah. So. There's a lot of, it seems like a lot of pollution is happening over there and um, and just a lot of mm-hmm. things that are becoming very diluted because of the people who are writing these things that don't have the true perspective and, and, and are not from, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they are not from, but they, they pretend like they are. And that's, that's not too surprising in other areas that affect um, African studies um, at all. But Let's talk about the um, your, your other interest in the in black identities and, and the diasporan identities and how it is potentially impacting activism. Specifically, I want to talk about transnationalism um, and how you define it, because I think you live it because you travel back and forth and, and you've, you know, especially with your connection through hip hop, but also just your connection to Tanzania and, and Africa, South Africa in general. Um, how do you think that transnationalism is impacting activism. I see that you have uh, published another book, your other book, um, Pan-African Spaces, and you talk about stories in black transnationalisms and people who are working on, you know, their dual identities and trying to utilize that to cultivate, or not cultivate, but construct their own personal identities and who they are and who they want to be and how they want to contribute to the world. And, And what do you think could be the potential impact of these um the mobilization of black identities and how it can impact uh, activism in the future well right now the i think <laughs> it's, it's okay so it, in all transparency like literally one of the things that motivates me the most is, mm-hmm. is stuff that pisses me off mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's good <laughs> getting, getting into hip-hop it was like reading stuff that pissed me off so right now what's really irritating me um is you know, kind of the the folks who are really resistant to changing older models of Pan-Africanism mm-hmm. um, to recognize that things are changing. Yeah. And, like, we, we knew the change was happening. Once mm-hmm. it stopped being go back to Africa because Africa was coming here, yep. I felt like at that point we needed to have different conversations. Mm-hmm. But that didn't really happen. Um, and I think now that you're seeing, okay, now we are truly trans, we're going everywhere, you know, and, you know, it's like, not only are we going everywhere, but in terms of like generations where you've got people, you know, children of, you know, uh, Nigerian mom and Kenyan father or, you know, South African dad, African-American mom. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you've got all these different types of transnationalism. And then you are having all of these kind of collaborations artistically, which is one of the things that's been fun is looking at the artistic manifestations of this transnationalism. Mm -hmm. So I'll look at an artist like um, Blitz Bazawule, who is a Ghanaian artist, hip-hop artist who came to the stage, you know, very Pan-African perspective, you know, Ghana, Nkrumah, all of that. So he came out of that, very Pan-African. Um, and, you know, recently was one of the producers on the Black is King project with Beyonce. Mm-hmm. 
and is getting ready to direct or do the uh, film version of the Color Purple musical with Oprah. Oh. His film was distributed by Ava DuVernay. So he's got like the three top black women right now. I mean, right. he's like, wow. you know what I'm saying? And he, but he brings Ghana wherever he goes. Yeah. And so... Then you, but you're in, in, and then with the uh, Black Panther project soundtrack film, you're also seeing like these these wonderful collaborations. But you got the people who are continuing with the older models of Pan Africanism that are saying that's not Pan Africanism. Mm. That's you know capitalism. That. Disney's and they they're not willing to recognize that this shift is significant and it's significant in the sense that we're seeing like people who like I saw some of my sores going to, to watch Black Panther and Dashikis. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? What is happening in the world? <laughs> you know, with AKs wear dashikis to, to, to go to the Black Panthers. Um, so it was like, but I'm like, so you, you, and you, I think you do a disservice when you dismiss all of that yeah. by saying, well, it was, you know, it's a Hollywood, whatever. I'm like, no, but that is organic in the sense that the people who are connecting with it, this representation of Africa and you're seeing folks with, you know, like even with your name, when I see your name, I see Nigeria, Mm. but you also, so, you know, sometimes you'll be watching TV or movies or whatever. And I'll see like, let's see on the thing. I'm like, ah, I'm like, I know that's what I do. You know what I'm saying? Me too. I do the same thing. Exactly. So we're seeing that. We're seeing us everywhere. And we are just kind of, it's, I think we're coming together in ways that we didn't necessarily plan on it. But I think it's, 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 a, it's a great thing to see it happen. But one of the other things that irritates me is that, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, like I'm a fan of Beyonce, but I'm not. I'm oh, not die please, hard, please but. go ahead. You because you just you speak in my spirit. I was about to bring this up. So I, I'm just going to let you because I was going to transition to this and deviate from the conversation. But go ahead, please go ahead. <laughs> so, when they, you know, a critical of Beyonce's representation of Africa and, you know, Disney project, capitalism and Beyonce and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, OK, but when. You know, Dead Prez or Most Dead or Erica Badu mm. inappropriately appropriates African culture or misappropriates African or gets the symbolism wrong. Mm. You're okay with that. Mm. You're fine. Mm. But because of Beyonce, mm. all of a sudden you want to get all upset. But you will stand for Dead Prez all day long. And their press has been has done some very inappropriate things when it comes to Africa. Mm. There, they have. I mean, some of their interviews, some of the stuff they said in their music, has has just been. And you know, what I'm saying, and, and part of it has just been a lack of understanding the nuance on the continent. Mm. And so, I'm not even mad at them because I understand that there is a there's this connection. But in connecting, sometimes there's certain nuance that you don't really get. Mm. And the same thing with Africans who are trying to connect with African-American culture, and there's certain nuances that they don't get sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh-uh, like, no, don't, you know, just like, like you, like the, a lot of, a lot of folks in, in Dar Salaam, in the hip-hop scene, were walking around with the one pants leg up for way too long. <laughs> way? Just way too long. <laughs> way too long. I was like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. They watch one episode of LL Cool J in the house, and they... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or they wear Tim's in the tropics. Like, why do why? you have on Timberland boots? Oh, man. Oh, my God. So, but it's like, I understand it's this desire to kind of connect with people who look like you, who you know are your people. Mm-hmm. And so I, you can't get mad at it. And you can't just, just hatred for Beyonce. That Beyonce thing it is serious. 
I ain't gonna lie to you. It's yeah. serious. Like, I mean, oh. that is that is oh a big, God. very, very like controversial thing because there are people who are mm -hmm. like, man, you know, okay, love what Beyonce is doing for the culture. Black is King. I mean, all the collaboration with all these up and coming African artists, Tiwa Savage, and you know, Puerto Ranking, and and you know, all of these you know, up and coming stars and everybody in there is pretty much from, you know, there are lots of artists who are from the continent. Um, but there's also that, like, you are exploiting us, you know, you're exploiting us. And there, you know, the narrative that Beyonce is not just, um, but when the time comes for you to actually speak on issues going on in Africa, like you're not doing that. And like, you're only coming in and, and doing, you know, what you got to do to make sure that it looks real, but it's not like, you're not contributing to the community. Like it's, it's like, wow. Like, and to me, I, I can see both sides, but I still feel mm -hmm. like, I still feel like, you know, anything right now that she went to the continent to, to learn and, and, and to actually try to properly put the right imagery and representation of Africans well. And I feel like that mm -hmm. deserves, that deserves some applause. Like you have to give, you know, I'm not a big Beyonce fan either, just because of what she did to Destiny's Child, but that's personal, right? Like, no, that's not, that ain't got, that ain't got, that ain't got nothing to do with Africa. You know what I mean? But like, but just the, the, mm -hmm. the idea of, of how much controversy this is causing, because like now for me, I feel like, one of my biggest goals, you know, even having this platform is to be able to find a way to bridge the gap that I believe through my upbringing exists between African-Americans and Africans that we're trying to slowly, you know, slowly piecing together. And one of the key components that's been bridging these gaps that people don't necessarily acknowledge that's just been happening is is music, is is the creatives like hip-hop yeah. and even afro beats i mean seeing all these artists mm -hmm. collaborate on these projects but now you're seeing it in the movies now you're seeing it you know mm -hmm. in, in in movies you're seeing comedies you're seeing insecure you see you know um Issa ray you see you know ivano jerry who you know you're seeing all these people that you didn't even know like unless you looked at the credits like you mentioned before like you looked and i was like when the first time i seen ivano jerry on insecure i was like oh wow she's nigerian like my God, <laughs> like I didn't even know, you know, and not even even realizing that Issa Rae has, you know, um, roots as well. Like it's so many mm -hmm. things that are that are happening right now that is contributing to potentially bridging this gap. But then you also have these little, little petty conversations that are mm -hmm. starting to emerge that still creates the separation and, and about what's really authentic and what's not and what's real. And what I just, I feel like any information that can help someone bridge and want to connect to Africa should be encouraged. Like, that's just where I stand. I don't know where exactly. you stand with that. I mean, and then when she, like with the whole SARS thing, when she did come, first of all, if she's not, she's not, Africa is not, she's not African studies professor. Okay. Exactly. So for her to come out day one, she, she can't do that. She needs time to figure out what the hell is happening, do some research. Like, you don't, you should never come out, and especially if you are that famous and have that much influence, mm -hmm. and say anything without knowing what the hell is happening. Mm -hmm. First, you mm -hmm. need to do your research. So if she had come out day one, I would have been a little bit like, eh, you know, you, you need to do some research first. Mm -hmm. But then when she did... It was like, well, who are you, and why? Why should we? Care? I'm like, okay. I'm like, she can't. She can't win. She can't win. She can't win. There's nothing she can do. Nothing. And so it's it's definitely, but the idea that her recognizing and celebrating her African heritage, if that is encouraging other Black people to also recognize and celebrate kids who were probably like, I ain't African. I ain't from Africa. Da, 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 and who are now because of Beyonce rethinking that narrative. I mean, you and all your whatever, I don't want to, cause yeah, cause I don't want to <laughs> but you know, you and all your whatever fist in the air couldn't do that. Mm. But Beyonce is doing it. And so, okay, then, but now that she's doing it, perhaps now you can benefit from that. You know, maybe you can get some of them to come to your Kwanzaa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, being petty. Okay. I love it. So, I love okay. it. I love it. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good energy. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. 
But I, I, mm. I want to know, just as we kind of wrap up, I, I want to mm-hmm. know, you know, when it's, you know, when you're, as you, all the work that you're doing with transnationalism and, you know, uh, and the books that you're publishing and the research that you're conducting and the talks that you're giving, like, when, what do you think ultimately, especially because of things that are happening? I think, you know, just to share my piece, I really do think that recent events, even though 2020 has been a very, very just tumultuous year, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, the, the the Black Lives Matter movement and all the other movements that have been happening, SARS and SARS and all these things has, has created an awakening that realizes, you know, that, that realizes for the, the Black community that we are all in this. And I think that there is an emergence of um, co- collaborative Black protest and and i've gotten to see that at least firsthand where you have you know black people from all over the world who because of just how connected we are through technology and social media we all find ourselves invested some way shape or form on issues that are happening albeit it may be for a short period of time it may be as trendy as a hashtag for a little bit but there's still that short moment where we all become connected we all are black we all want this change to happen whether it's in for africa whether it's in, for nigeria i should say whether it's for blacks in germany for blacks in london for blacks in america there is this transnational potential for pushing change that could happen but i want to ask you mm-hmm. just from your own perspective like perspective just based on everything you've know you experienced your research what do you think could be a potential way for blacks to become unified for african-americans and african immigrants or from the continent for the islands to become more unified and bridge potential gaps that exist Mm, well i definitely think that one of the you know things that's happening i think naturally it's happening and i think when you have children um you know african immigrants have children that are born in a diaspora Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, children that kind of for, you know, a lot of the marriages between Africans and African-Americans are African-American women marrying African men because just, I mean, the reality is availability and Mm -hmm. the dating pool. It's like, you know, you start looking, I always say to my students, you know, if if you, you know, as an African-American woman, if you've never considered dating an African man, then you look over the next cubicle and there sits Idris. You know, you're going to reconsider something. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, wait a minute. So that, I think just that alone, and then the children then are both, Mm. you know, I think that is, so you've got that mixing into the population. And I think naturally you, and then you've got folks like you and me who, you know, when we open our mouths and stuff, people are like, okay, you know, you're American, we got our letters on, D9, everybody's like, you know, but then we also bring something else, that other element. Because I know with my chapter, especially as an undergrad, it was, you know, it was clear I was, you know, definitely bringing that that different dynamic. Yeah. And it it really hasn't been until later that I actually could see the impact of all my line sisters. They were all pretty, well, most of them were pretty much from South Carolina and North Carolina, all Southern. Okay. But seeing later, kind of the little impacts of that. Okay, you know, well, my line sister's from Africa, you know? And so then seeing, you know, them going, a couple of them actually haven't gone to the continent. So I think it's happening. And so I also think that, so I think encouraging that and just kind of acting like, for me, like that's just a normal process. Like that's not something that, ooh, look, you know, Um, I have an African friend, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, just saying that I've got a friend whose name is Kalechi, like that, and we about to have fufu, right. you know, and it's not necessarily something that I'm making a big deal out of because right. that's something that's natural and it should happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the best things that we can do is just be, be together, mm-hmm. learn about each other's stuff. Like, you know, so my son, his father is Ghanaian. And my son can eat jollof rice, just like we have this thing called ugali, which is, it looks like fufu, but it's a, it's a bit different. Okay. Um, he eats ugali just as much as he eats jollof rice, just as much as he eats, you know, baked mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's 
but it's not like we're saying, "Ooh, you're gonna have African food today." Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. just we're about to go to Swahili village to pick up some ugali and goat. You know, and yeah. that's it. It's just so I think that's the best thing. Just be don't have put the walls down. Black is black, yeah. and yeah, just yeah. be man. That I think yeah. that's the best thing. Don't make a big, don't overthink it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just be appreciate each other's culture. Um, it doesn't have to be eating fufu doesn't have to be a political statement. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that that helps us, I think, just kind of get used to it. You yeah. know, that's powerful. I, I agree. And um, I think that is something that should resonate as far as just normalizing the diversity in our blackness. I think that's just how I yeah. feel. It. Just normalize it. Let's not. Let's not be dramatic about it. Let's not, you know, mm-hmm. I, think we, we, I think that is something that even I find myself doing sometimes when I'm like, oh, my God, an African, like, and I'm married to an African-American woman. So, like, it's one of those things where mm-hmm. it's, and I, you know, my son is, you know, is, is going to come from that blended background now. And, and it, for me, it's, it's becoming normal. But I do think that, you know, sometimes you subconsciously find yourself seeing someone that may be African-American doing something African. You're like, oh, my God, look, yay, the African-American is wearing on a cheeky. Like, oh, my God, this is progress. You're so cute. And and so, and, and there's nothing, and nothing, nothing will actually get truly done if one feels like they're being patronized, you know? And so I do think mm-hmm. that, because it, it, it feels like, oh, my God, like when you see someone that's actually trying and you're just like, oh, my God, well, like, you know, that's cute. Like, I think normalizing the, the diversity in our blackness is is the way to go. I, I don't think it can be said any better than the way you just explained it. So I want to thank you, um, Umsia, for mm-hmm. just taking the time to rap with me, no pun intended, um, with about <laughs> everything. And, um, and is there a way that uh, people can um, reach you, social media or email, just to stay in touch with you and find out more about your work? Um, well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Kibona, at K-I-B-O-N-A. Um, yeah, those are the part that's the best place. Okay. Wonderful. Well, yes, Dr. Clark, mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you on. I just want to wish you all the best and just know that if there's anything we can do here in My Black is Transnational to continue to support your work, we would love to be able to help you. And uh, we just wish you all the best in all that you do. All right. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you so much. No problem. Peace. So that's going to conclude this episode of My Black is Transnational. I'd like to thank Dr. Clark for joining me today and having such great insight and being such a breath of fresh air. We really appreciate it. Wishing you all the best uh, as you move forward and looking forward to hearing all the great content that you have on your podcast the hip hop africa podcast if you like what you heard please make sure to subscribe and download the podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast please rate and review the podcast as well in addition to subscribing and uh, check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com podcast follow us on instagram at black black transnational podcast and follow me the host at black transnational underscore so until next time, we'll speak again. My name is Dr. Kalechi Ben Lamberts. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.